Good morning. If you've got a Bible, you might want to start turning to Acts 4. We're going back a bit. Uh, we'll be reading Acts 4, verses 31 to 37. If you haven't got a Bible, no worries. We'll be um, putting up on the screen behind me. You can just about see who that guy is. Um, welcome. Um, I hope you've been enjoying the sun and the crazy hot weather. All the grass is dying. I hope you've been, been enjoying the tennis the Tour de France, maybe Silverstone tomorrow. This is a good month for all you sports lovers, isn't it? And I think something else is going on, but I'm not sure what. Um, but yeah, I'm, I can't remember. If you're a visitor here, we've been uh, looking uh, through a book of the Bible called Acts. Uh, Acts of the Apostles, Acts of the Holy Spirit, chronicling the rapid, massive, unprecedented growth of the early church in the midst of, in the midst of severe, horrific opposition and persecution. That was the backdrop of the early church booming as we read Acts. The more we go through this series, what, what's really captivated me is, is the courage and the perseverance of this beautiful early church as the Spirit of God moved them to greater heights of boldness, bravery, and expectation. It's a thrilling read, really. Um, and the thought came to mind the other day was, I wish I could get their discipleship manual. I wish they produced something that just told us what to do. And then the penny dropped. I'm very slow. This is it, isn't it? Acts. What were the things that were essential to their increasing kingdom effectiveness? It's all here. It's what we've been reading about. It's what you get as you turn from one page to the next. Because this morning I felt God draw me to speak on stewardship giving and generosity, particularly in the area of finances. I'm going to particularly concentrate on money this morning. And what became apparent reading Acts is their commitment to following Jesus exploded, yes, into church planting, yes, into praying for the miraculous and healing, yes, in terms of engaging life shaping community, yes, dynamic prayer lives, but also, but also their discipleship pattern broke out into incredible giving. We see that in Acts. Stewardship, generous giving, shaped them as disciples of Christ. It was part of the manual. The Apostle Paul says in Philippians 3.10, it says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and the participation and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining the resurrection from the dead and all the power that that unleashed. That's the higher goal, Jubilee, to know Christ and the power of his resurrection in our lives flowing out of us. And, the, and, and stewardship is a really important key to, disi uh, to discipling us towards that goal. You might not think that, but it is. If you're a visitor here this morning, we don't talk loads about money here at Jubilee. Please don't think we're like one of those loud, scary God TV preachers who shouts at you asking for cash in a white suit and a Cadillac with blacked out windows. <laughs> I don't watch much God TV. That's not us. Don't worry, you're safe here. But I wonder whether we should talk into this area more often than we actually do. Teach into it. 
Jesus himself taught about money and giving about 25% of the time. He challenged us with sayings like, your wallet is the place where your heart reveals itself most accurately. My paraphrase, actually Mark Driscoll's paraphrase. It's all over the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. God sees the importance of it, even though we might shy away. So this morning I want to unpack some hopefully helpful things that the Bible says about money, possessions, stewardship uh, in, in the context of discipleship. So let's read it, shall we? Uh, Acts 4, 31 to 37, relatively short passage compared to our previous readings. Acts 4, 31 to 37. After they prayed, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. All the believers were in one heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace, God's grace was so so powerfully at work in them that there were... Uh, that there were no needy persons among them. From time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone in need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, um, uh, whom the apostles called Barnabas, if you remember, Barnabas was accompanied Paul on the first missionary journey. Uh, Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you are calling us more and more to be a follower of you. Thank you, Lord, that you called your disciples and your disciples called others into this amazing adventure. And I pray, Holy Spirit, as we talk about stewardship this morning in the context of following you, loving you, to know Christ and the power of your resurrection, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will provoke us. I pray, Lord, that you will nudge us. I pray, Lord God, that you will uh, pour out your love and grace into um, as we speak this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So firstly, so a few things on stewardship and giving related to finances and how that shapes us as followers of Jesus. How it's part, how it's part of his big church, bigger church-shaping, kingdom-advancing plan. So firstly, stewardship, what is it? What is it? See verse 32, all the believers were at one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. No one. This is at the heart of what stewardship is all about. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. It's kind of like God saying, don't be fooled. Don't uh, get get um, get real to what the Bible says. Everything we have, Jubilee, belongs to God. We are God's stewards. You see, a steward is someone who manages. He looks after her. She, she uses wisely the assets, the possessions of someone else. It's not theirs to mess about with. And because it's not theirs, but someone else's, they have to be careful. They have to be prayerful, thoughtful about what they do with it. That's what a good steward does. 
Let me help you see this. I was looking through our photos. Um, I was looking through our photos um, and uh, videos the other night, searching for some pictures to go into Jesh's end of, end of primary school year leavers book. And what I found really funny was that as I was looking through these little video clips, one of the, one of the kids' most commonly used words when they were around three to five, three to six, was, that, was, was the word mine. Have you noticed that? Mine. That's mine, Daddy. Get off, Jemima. That's mine. My seat. My Millennium Falcon. My Coke. My side of the car. My chocolate cake. My bed. My TV. Mine. Hilarious for a three-year-old, if you really think about it, because the reality of it was, was that all of their stuff wasn't actually theirs. It was mine. <laughs> mine. I provided it for them in Charlotte. They didn't earn any, any of it, but these immature three-year-olds, five-year-olds, couldn't get their heads around this simple fact. All their stuff was given to them as a gift from someone much larger, definitely, and much wiser, allegedly debatable, than them. But they didn't get it. You see, kids can be a bit fickle like that, can't they? Not like us grown-ups. <laughs> Me included. Question, who do you think God says all your wealth belongs to? You or God? Do you naturally think mine or his when it comes to money and finances? If your answer to that question is God, this is, this, is, this is more provoking, would that be evident? Would that be crystal clear when someone looked at your, my house, budget, giving, your spending, your generosity? You see, the reason I've highlighted this point right at the start is that when it comes to financial dealings and wealth, our biggest barrier pushing God away from shaping us and giving, uh, pushing us from a greater sharing and generosity and uh, giving and forming Christ in us to know the power of his resurrection and all that is the issue of ownership, stewardship. It's, is it God's or is it mine? So that's a godly understanding of stewardship, a life-transforming biblical truth, actually, whether you have much or whether you have little. Secondly, beware the love of money. You see, when God asks us to steward all that he has, it isn't because he can't do it and he needs someone cleverer than him like you or me. Rather, he realizes that our attitude and understanding of money and possessions have the ability to shape us for the good or for bad. And it's this tension as we go through life, these choices that we have to make, this life of repentance and faith as we live out the complexities of all these decisions and actions that shape us. That's how God does it. Verse 33, with great power, we just read, with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully um, at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them. So what was at the heart of their gener generosity? We just read it, haven't we? First and foremost, these guys were worshippers through and through. You see, 
the truth is we all worship something. I've said this before. Whether we consider ourselves religious or not, we are all giving ourselves to something or someone else, ascribing ultimate value to something or someone else. That's what worship is, isn't it? We were made that way. Probably one of the most misquoted verses in the Bible is from 1 Timothy 6.10, and it says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Many people say, hey, there you have it. Money is the root of all evil. Money is bad. Try not to have very much of it if you're a real Christian. Feel bad if you have lots. Don't tell anyone. Hush. But actually, that's not a biblical view. That's not what this verse is getting at. Again, again, it's an issue of worship. No, money isn't at the root of all evil. Money is neither good nor bad, actually. It's just money. It's the love, the worship of money, which is the root of all evil. That's what Paul is saying to Timothy. Jesus said it as well. Jesus said in Matthew 6, 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Why? Because money and and possessions is not where real, persistent security, confidence, joy, love, and pleasure lies. This world would say otherwise. And so how do you battle this tension? How How do you come through a culture like ours? And the answer is by replacing what you worship. Not just positive thinking, It's by replacing what you worship. If you're not a Christian here this morning, that's the answer. If you're a Christian here this morning, that's the answer too. Only when you see God's love as more valuable and satisfying and beautiful than any other kind of love will you never be freaked out again over your love of money. Only when you realize that God's honor and your relationship with him is more fulfilling and uplifting than any other kind of honor uh, or pleasure will you not be freaked out about not having enough money. Only when you realize that God's provision is faithful and reliable will you not be rocked by the rocked up and down by the financial ups and downs of this world. The answer is to worship Jesus. Whenever Abbas is here this morning, we love Abbas. Um, Abbas is up from London. And Abbas, he doesn't probably know this as much as um, it affected me, but he has spoken this into my life so many times, uh, how he trusts God. Thank you. Do you see that? Stewardship molds us through worship? Do you worship your money as God or do you worship God with your money? Two very different things. Our God, Jubilee, is a jealous God who wants all of you like a groom wants his beautiful bride. So we've looked at stewardship. It's not mine, it's his. We've looked at the love of money, how reorienting our love for money Um, uh, how reorienting our worship uh, back to God changes everything. And thirdly, finally, money can can release power in the hands of God. Money can be good. Money can be a blessing. And so forgive me for stating the obvious, but what makes money powerful is what we do with it. You, Jubilee, 
are his hands. You see, verse 34, from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. God says here to each of us, I entrust you uh, with a portion of everything that is mine. Now go and do good with it. Be deeply generous with it. Share it with those in need. Show your church, show your friends, colleagues, family. Show those in the world who you bump into. The down and outs, the seemingly unver- uh, undeserving, the rock bottoms, everyone, that I am a generous God who abundantly provides for those in need. That's how God's money becomes a blessing. And a big part of that, biblically, is through the church. We teach that regularly on our intro course. That's why we push giving to the church on top of other giving. It's a biblical, it's a biblical mandate. Did you, see how the, did you see what it said there? It said it, it, they laid it at the apostles' feet. This was a sign of trust. It was a sign of togetherness and unity. It was declaring that uh, they weren't just operating independently or out of self-righteous control, but through the very kingdom body that is God's plan A, his church. Jesus loves his church, and giving to his church declares something of our love for Jesus and his whole body. What do you really think about giving to the church? God really spoke to me about this this morning. Is there a joy-filled excitement or is there a skeptical, suspicious reluctance? If it's the latter, God wants to change your heart this morning. He's blowing his spirit over this church. His spirit can do that if you're willing. He wants to change you. Why? Because he needs loads of money. No. Because he loves you. Now, I'm going to briefly get all practical on you because some of you ask these questions from time to time. And the Bible is also very practical about this subject. And actually, I know we have younger people in, in the crowd today. This is for you too. This is for you to think about, yeah, and pray about. If we want to see God's power released through faithful stewardship and giving, there are certain habits and thoughts and actions that go hand in hand in seeing this happen. In 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, chapters 8 and 9, we see helpful principles about giving in action. What are we meant to do? We also see, very importantly, it's written, hear this, it's written on a background of extreme poverty. We're not a rich church financially here in Jubilee. We're rich in God. This is deeply applicable to us. And the key verse that umbrellas all of the practicalities of giving that I'm going to share briefly is this one in the midst of hardship. And 1 Corinthians 8.2 starts with, They were poor and out of their poverty welled up generosity. Jubilee, we are to see this whole subject with the eyes of faith, not the eyes of fear. That's the backdrop, if you like, of all the practicalities that God gives us in terms of giving to the church. So what practical things do we see? Just have a drink. Mm. 
what practical things do we see? Firstly, we give out of an understanding of grace. Simon did this so well over the intro course. Again and again, he labored the fact. Grace is key. 2 Corinthians 8.1 says, And now, brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given to the Macedonian churches. That's what's underlined. Because you know why? Because that's what provokes us. We are called not to give out of obligation or guilt, but rather from a heart that is so moved by what Jesus has done for us that giving becomes our joy and excitement. Our little generosity, if you like, is motivated by his enormous, gigantic generosity. We cannot outgive God. It's a no-brainer. Romans 8.32 says, He who did not spare his son, but gave him up for all of us, how will he not also, along with Jesus, graciously give us all things? I believe that. In the Old Testament, tithing was how they gave. They gave away about a tenth of their gross wealth, 10% to the Levites, who were the priests of the church, of the then church, to fund ministry. Jesus, however, comes on the scene and always raised expectations. When you read the Sermon on the Mount, whether he's talking about anger, marriage, relationships, your neighbor, the needy, pride, prayer, Jesus always called us to a higher place, motivated by the highest gift of all, his sacrifice for for us, his rescue grace gift. And giving jubilee was no exception. He moves us from a mere tithing to grace-filled, Jesus-loving, faith-filled generosity. That's amazing. We don't hear a lot about tithing in this church because Jesus has moved us on. I felt God say this morning, don't let your old covenant understanding of tithing limit what God's new covenant wants to do through you. If you want me... If you want me to be controversial, as I read through the scriptures, as I read through what Jesus said, Jesus sounds about is going, uh oh. I think tithing is the bare minimum, actually, for most of us. Not all of us, but for most of us in this room. Jubilee, God wants you to excel in the grace of giving. He really does. And he wants to he wants it because he loves you and he wants to shape you. Secondly, we give compassionately. Compassionately. Our giving should be rooted in a genuine, heart-filled concern. Concern for others. Jesus, he got stuck into the lives of the marginalized and the poor and the wealthy and those who didn't think they needed God. The rich guys, some of them. Uh, He was concerned for their well-being. He was concerned for their eternal souls. Often he saw a need in them that they often didn't see in themselves at all. When Paul wrote his thank you letter to the Philippian church for their financial gift, and they were also a poverty-stricken church, he said this, I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. God the Holy Spirit will give us a burning compassion and concern that will motivate our giving. He will. He will. Thirdly, we give cheerfully and sacrificially. That word cheerful is the Greek word hilarion. 
from which we get our word hilarious. C.J. Mahaney, when talking about this Greek word for cheerful uh, giving, says, what does hilarious giving look like? It is just short of delirious. I remember Jeremy used to say, how much do you have to give to start laughing? Now, both of these comments are probably not the best way to translate the word hilarion, but we get the point, don't we? We get the point, don't we? God loves a cheerful giver. It's a heart thing that he's after. I remember when I first became part of Jubilee after coming to faith on an Alpha course, and I remember thinking that, what have I, thinking, what have I got to offer? I remember sitting in a community group too scared to contribute, wouldn't say a single prayer, wouldn't share any insights or thoughts. Week in, week out, it became embarrassing. Then, in the midst of all this, I remember Jeremy saying to me, Raj, you've been part of us now for some time. You're working, but I notice you're not giving much to the church. Is everything okay? Now, you might be thinking, hey, hello, that's a bit awkward. That's a bit in your face. But Jeremy knew your wallet is where your heart revealed itself most accurately. And so he was concerned. He had the courage to provoke me. We talked about it. I told him about how I was feeling inadequate. We went through 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. This was a, and I went through Corinthians 8 and, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and suddenly the penny dropped. This was a way that I could contribute. This was a way that God could use me. And do you know what? It filled me with a renewed excitement. My wages were a gift from God that I could use for good. As I started giving through standing order, it released something in me that broke through all these feelings of inadequacy. And it made me smile. God loves a cheerful giver. But what I've also noticed is that joy-filled giving comes more through sacrifice. When it costs us we relate more to our Jesus who gave up more than we could ever imagine. It's a, it kind of joins me to him, roots me into his love and contentment. We heard earlier into his suffering more than just giving the bare minimum. We should feel it when we give. A level of giving that makes... A level of giving that means making radical lifestyle adjustments to the, point of not what, of, of, to the point of not having what other peers around you might have. It will look different. It will feel different. People will notice. It will point to the sacrificial, life-giving, love-releasing heart of God. It's not just about the amount. It's about the sacrifice. For some of you, that might be giving away 10%. For some of you, that might be 50%. I don't know. That's between you and Jesus. It really is. A lot of you are very generous givers, and I'm not talking about the amount. I'm talking about the sacrifice. Fourthly, we also give proportionately, regularly, and generously. That sounds a bit administrative, doesn't it? But it's there. 1 Corinthians 16 to a different chapter. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in, in keeping with your income. That's pretty specific. You see, we can drift in our giving depending on how we feel, depending on my mood, depending on what conversations I might have with different people that week. I might feel like giving different amounts. Week in, week out. But do you know what? I thank God for rotas 
and standing order forms. Praise God for them. Do you praise God for them? When I don't feel like going to meetings and serving because I'm tired or I've had a bad week or I'm just feeling grumpy, which is often, rotors will tell me otherwise. Rotors, standing orders, keep me on track. They don't allow my fluctuating ups and downs stop me from committing to what I promise in God, in prayer. Commitment shapes our discipleship. This commitment not based on feelings, shapes our discipleship. really does. When we had Serving Sunday, Gavin, Simon, uh, the other week, it wasn't primarily because we're running short of helpers, we are, but that wasn't the main reason. The main reason is that through service, we want to see you grow in your love for God and love for each other. We want your abilities to be shared through the church and from the church outward. Action point today speak to Gavin and Simon and say, I want to be part of your setup and set down team. All this teaching has practical consequences. Speak to them today. I guarantee by serving in these, partic- in these areas, but lots of areas, will change you and, and, think about this, will change others through you doing it. Do you want to change the church? Do you want to change the lives of people? Serve. Jubilee, we are seeing beautiful things happen through your generous, faith-filled giving and stewardship. Over the last couple of years, as we've given generously to forming an apostolic structure in Ghana through Michael Akosha and his team, and as we brought him into our family of churches, Christ Central New Frontiers, we are seeing growth and strengthening and new life being birthed in some of the most rural and poor villages in Africa. We keep getting these WhatsApp messages. I shared one with Andy this morning. Places where Jesus is worshipped by men and women and children in the midst of nothing through his radio ministry, reaching thousands across West Africa, through training and gathering and conferencing and partnering. These are the things that we're particularly uh, putting into this year. God is moving. Three years ago, very little was happening. Now there's a momentum. And yes, it costs us. It costs us a lot, actually. But God wants us to be obedient, not miserly or selfish. Through our new Sunday night alpha strategy, Life Plus sessions and Freedom in Christ coming shortly. I think we're going to be watching a video about that next week. Through Gavin coming on staff and overseeing this going forward. We are seeing God move over the last 18 months or so. We've seen 69 people come through alpha. Not all of them completed it, but they got the gospel and feel of God's joy. Before that, for a year... For a year or so, there was no one, if you remember. It scared the living daylights out of me. Over the past three um, baptism Sundays, we've baptized 17 people who brought their guests along and people, were ask- and people are asking, on, asking us, when's the next one? Before that, before that, once again for a year or so, there was no one for quite a time. Jubilee, God is on the move. Make friends and invite them to Alpha. We will take them on a journey with God. Please trust us. 
Over the last 18 months or so, we were, actually, we were really struggling with staff capacity. A staff capacity issue. We were stagnating in some areas. We had loads of good ideas, but making, their, making them happen was proving difficult. difficult. Since we brought on Gavin again uh, um, um, three days a week, uh, a real act of faith, because we really don't have the finances for it, it has released something in all of us that feels we're on the go again. The team dynamic, it's not just about Gavin, but the team dynamic has shifted. God provoked us in faith to staff for growth rather than wait for growth and then staff. A mindset that relies on God rather than just on the safety of what we have. Faith in action. We were obedient to that. Through our pastoral team led by Sarush and Jill Catrell, uh, we're looking at equipping sessions, moving, moving us from not just being reactive in crises, that is important, but also to being proactive in life maturity and spiritual growth. The September, as Sarush said, this, this September, we're going to pilot freedom in Christ and we're going to roll it out over the coming months after that. We're hoping to see real fruit from, from this. Our God is a releasing God. He releases from, releases from wholeness into action. We are passionate about your youth, my youth, and now, and kids' work. We need more volunteers to help out. Will you, help, will you help out? It's another action point. Your kids, my kids, are growing in knowledge and faith, in the fun and the games and the excitement. Our kids' workers are creating beautifully a space for Christ to be formed in them too. It's amazing what they're doing. This July, we're about, we're about as we just said, we're about to send 18 kids to New Day 2018. We have a great team, Andy, Jen, Sarush, Zach, Marvach, Gavin, Haley, Holly, Sam, who's, about to, who's just got engaged and is about to be married in September and he's coming back with us. Um, we are in expectation that, Nathaniel, we're, expect, we're in expectation that God will move in the lives of our young people and those who serve them over those few days. Week in, week out, through our Friday night Ignite sessions, we're seeing non-church youth friends becoming part of the church. That's exciting. Firstly, on social evenings, but slowly, slowly, they want to come to our God nights too. He's irresistible. I believe this is an area that's going to explode jubilee. And, and, and it's going to cost us. Watch out, give to it. You know what? I could go on and on and on through sparklers, through our football team, amazing stuff happening there, through our creative arts ministry, this, this printmaking course is, is working wonders, through our amazing singers and musicians, through, our open, through Open Door, through the Hope Foundation, through Safe Families for Children, through our community groups, through Food Bank, through our Teesside Church Together Unity Movement, through, um, through our Christ Central School of Leadership Training Program, through Impact Frontier Project that Nathaniel's on. We are seeing God do great things. His power is being released through our giving. Jubilee, well done. Well done. Thank you. Well done for being faithful and generous. It's a hallmark of this church. 
Well done for being good stewards. And as we already have moved into our 2018, 2019 budget, we are looking to God to provide for us an extra 40K plus to keep all this happening. That's the faith gap, as Jed Lester says, our trustee, chair of trustees. We don't want to stop what God is doing. Actually, I believe God wants to expand on what he's already done so far. And you know what? That takes greater faith. It takes greater generosity. It takes all of us to pray and contribute as much as we can for the glory of God. For those of you who are new to the church, can I ask you to consider giving soon to the work of Jubilee? There are forms at the back that you can fill out. For those of you who give regularly, can I ask you to consider giving more possibly? Pray about it. Speak to the family about it. Although I praise God for standing orders, and I do, sometimes, though, they can make us forget about what we're giving and actually stop us from reassessing our giving on a regular basis. This week, will you do that? As a family or as individuals, a lot of you already flabbergast me with the level of generosity and faith and sacrifice that I see. Well done. Thank you all. This October, we'll be, we'll be celebrating 20 years of Jubilee. What a milestone. We'll be having our annual gift day as part of those celebrations. Jeremy and Anne will be with us. There'll be a great sense of family and fun and thankfulness about this amazing milestone in God. 20 years. 20 years. Will you pray and save and consider what your contribution will be to that gift day too? Starting now, we'll give you a lot of Heads up, time. Be sacrificially generous, givers, Jubilee. It's a hallmark, as I said, of this church. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but instead store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Jesus is looking more and more for passionate hearts. As Andy prophesied some years ago now to us at one of our prayer weeks, he's looking for burning hearts, blazing for God. If the band can come up, that would be great. I'd love to sing Our God is a Lion if possible. Again. Randy Alcorn writes about this verse uh, uh, that this, this thing that Jesus said, and he says, what does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven instead of on earth? It means that Christ offers us the incredible opportunity to trade earthly goods and currency for eternal kingdom rewards. By putting our money and possessions in his treasury, we assure ourselves of eternal rewards beyond comprehension. That's biblical truth. You have an account in heaven, Jubilee, that as you give out to, you put much more back in. <laughs> Jesus said, for the, uh, uh, Hebrews tells us, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, Jesus, scorning its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jubilee, Jesus gave up all of his treasure in heaven to make you his treasure. And do you know what? When you see him making you his treasure, that will make him, that will make you see him as your treasure. That's the key. That's the great exchange. And when you see him as your treasure, finally, at last, eternally, forever, 
you will have wealth, riches that you could never imagine to have in the here and now. Because our God is a rich, abundant, lavish God. And we have the privilege, the joy, the excitement of affecting that heavenly account now. That's our generous God. That's our lavish God. That's our rich, rich, rich God. Nothing can surpass His grace and provision. He, Jubilee, is the pearl of great price. Let's stand. We're going to take, appropriately, we're going to take our offering as well as we do this. So, actually, if you can pass the buckets around, that would be great. If you're a visitor here this morning, we're not looking for your money. This is for people who come week in, week out. I'm just going to pray over us as we uh, sing this song, this Jesus-exalting song, because that's what it's about. We want to exalt Jesus in our lives. We want to follow this King who's worth following. We want to say yes to Him every time. And yes, we come up to these challenging. Yes, we see these 40K hurdles. We see these big barriers. But do you know what? There hasn't ever been a year in 20 years that God has not broken through. Never. Never. Thank you, Lord, that you are a good God. I thank you, Lord, that we are all part of this. I thank you, Lord, that every, as Tesco says, every penny counts. But in your kingdom, Lord, every single person here counts. Every single person here counts. And we pray, Lord God, that you will shape us, mold us. We want to mold us. We want to know Christ. We want to know more and more of Christ and the power of his resurrection in our lives. We want to give to that Lord. We want to release to that Lord. And we want to see you, see you produce an abundant harvest. Thank you, Lord, for biblical truth. I thank you, Lord, for your spirit making this alive in us. I thank you, Lord, for action, faith in action. And I pray, Lord God, that this morning we'll release faith in action. Not just a nice Sunday morning, not just a difficult Sunday morning. Pray against that. I pray, Lord God, for faith in action. I pray for new people, new Christians, those who are just getting to hear this about what we believe. I pray, Lord God, that you will excite them on the adventure ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Let's sing.